Amen. Christ is enough for us. Amen. At least it should be, right? Really considered it. Well, uh, thanks for having us here. I'm sorry we're here. I've heard that uh, Brother Ken's been been ill for quite some time. This has been going on for months and months, probably over a year now, right? And um, it's been quite trying. So we, our church found out about it a while back and started praying for him. And um, we're just continuing with that. And uh, man, what an ordeal to have when the, the the guts are not right. It's a it's a big it's a big deal. And so, um, anyways, I guess oh, I haven't introduced myself. My name is Chris uh, Chris Turner. I'm from Bible Believers Baptist Church, Brother Robinson's Church there in Hillsboro, Oregon. Um, my family and I we've been there a little over no almost 12 years uh, now. So a little bit about us we. Um, uh, moved up up here from Florida, uh, so uh, almost 12 years ago, to help Brother Robinson with the church, and it's just been a uh, been a blessing. Been uh, it was quite a culture shock at first, but I think we've we've acclimated enough to be able to to deal with the differences between the South and the Northwest. It's a uh, English is still spoken, but it's a different language, you know, and uh, it is totally different. And there's the different way to say things and different. Uh, yeah, just different meanings about a lot of things. So uh, it's always interesting when I go back home and uh, pick up things, and it's just it's a different world. Um, but thank God we're able to still have uh, communion with the body of Christ no matter where we're at. Amen. Yeah. I think some of the um, I don't know maybe the best, but I just I remember being in Mexico one time in 2000, and I I didn't understand a lick of Spanish, and yet. There was just a great communion amongst the believers, and it was it was just it was phenomenal, and um, I can't imagine you get that with anything else, you know, a Buddhist traveling to another Buddhist temple, um, uh, anything else. It's just it's not the same. Like there's a bond because of the the body of Christ because we have that same fellowship. We're bound. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, Amen. So, um, anyways, we've been there for a little over twelve years. I got saved when I was uh, a young boy, uh, trusted Christ as my Savior when I was four, and uh, that was that was an experience. I had um, been taught on hell and knew I didn't want to go there. That Sunday afternoon, I was riding my bicycle out and got maybe just a little bit closer to the road than I knew my parents wanted me to. And I, the thought crossed my mind, and I think it was probably there from, from God, it says, if one of those cars comes by and smacks you, kid, you're going to hell. And so I, I rode back toward the house and then got off my bicycle and asked Christ to save me right there. And uh, didn't always live just right as a, as a young man and a teenager, but the Lord was very merciful uh, to me. And uh, some of the testimonies that people have is, the things that God's brought them out of and saved them, you know, out of the, out of this life and out of prison and out of drugs and alcohol. And, uh, the same God saved me and kept me from all that. And it's just as powerful. And I'm, I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, cause it's not, not of myself. I, there was all the same temptations were there, all the same opportunities. And it was just God's immense grace to keep me from a lot of that. Uh, Still had to struggle with a lot of things in my heart, amen, as we all do. 
Um, but anyways, enough about, enough about all that. Um, just been glad to be up here and serving in the Northwest. Glad to know that you guys are up here still maintaining faithfulness, and it's encouraging. It really, really is to, um, just to come and have other believers here in the Northwest uh, and know that we're not alone. Um, I'm good friends with uh, Brother Sherry and his family and many of the folks up there in Chehalis. We've known them for, for many years. Um, I don't know if you guys know Tom Johnson, who was a missionary in Papua New Guinea for many years. He's residing there in Chehalis now, and he's a big reason why uh, I'm out here in the Northwest. He encouraged me as a young man to come out here and to help uh, God's work here. So I um, brought my family along with me tonight, my wife Elizabeth, uh, Olivia, who played the piano, and Madeline, Sophia, and Justin. So glad that uh, they were able to come with me. Hey, and I, I really appreciate you guys having a piano player here. I've been in some other churches that uh, they didn't have a piano player for whatever reason, and boy, that uh, it makes a big difference. And so thank you for playing the piano. That It's, um, you know, the biggest book in our Bible is Psalms, you know, songs. And the Lord tells us to lift our voices up in hymns and spiritual songs. And so I think it's, that's why we incorporate it into our church services is because um, it's pleasing it invites the Holy Spirit in here, right? And so um, it's good to have that, and it's good to have a, somebody play the instrument well. <clears throat> All right, so um, before we kind of get into tonight's sermon, um, I just have a couple of questions. Do you ever just read your Bible because you're supposed to? Sure, that's okay. I've, I've done it before where I was just like, I know I'm supposed to do this, and okay, I'm going to get up and read my Bible. And I move about, get my coffee, and move about with my day. That's not necessarily a bad thing. That's a good habit to have. Okay, but and sometimes uh, we need that, right? Have you ever brushed your teeth just because you were supposed to? Yeah, I've had. Yeah, no, not Justin. No, he hasn't. But, you know, you ever gotten to bed and you thought I didn't brush my teeth, and I know I'm supposed to. I'm gonna wake up with some really bad breath and gunk on my teeth if I don't do that. Get up, go take care of it. That's a good habit to have. There wasn't something that I was necessarily just invested in. But to have a habit of reading your Bible is a good thing. And it's easy enough to just read through, especially some of the familiar passages that are in the Bible. Um, I was speaking to uh, Dale and I think Mary earlier, and I was talking about Brother brother Matt, who was here this morning. I was like, oh yeah, he's from Tennessee. He's very mellow. Uh, I'm not quite as mellow. So I might ask you guys some questions. Feel free to respond. It's okay. Uh, so I'm just a little bit more interactive than that. Um, sometimes he does that too. But so I said familiar passages. What are some familiar passages to you that, you, that would be in the Bible that you would know of and be able to freely speak about? What's that? Proverbs. Lots of Proverbs. Yeah, lots of good stuff in Proverbs. Any particular stories in the Bible? The sower and the seed. It's a great one in the New Testament there. Any of you kids? Paul's thorn in the flesh. Yeah. Having to deal with that and, the, and him seeking the Lord for that. Yeah, that's a familiar one. And um, some things in the Old Testament, right? The Lord leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the Promised Land and all the struggles that they happen there. How, creation, right? And it, there's all, you know, there's, it's not, you guys, you got a lot of posters about, you know, the creation and the wonders of God around here. 
And to think, you know, God compacted all that information and he did that in just a few chapters. Pay attention to those words, right? God put everything in there, just a few words. We should pay attention to them. So, but tonight I was, um, I'd like to, us to focus on just a couple of the miracles of Jesus. And there's quite a few of them, but have you ever considered the details that go along with that? Like the details that go along with some of those stories in the Bible, you know, some of those details, like you mentioned the thorn in the flesh. We don't exactly know what that is. We have a good idea, but man, there's, there's some things in there where you understand that Paul is struggling and he's interceding with God back and forth there about this thing that's, you know, he sees it as a hindrance to him. And what, you know, Daniel in the lion's den, like the, God places that story in there for a very particular reason and probably reasons, right? There's things for us to learn. And when I started reading through the miracles uh, recently, and we're doing a series on that in a, a nursing home that we go and visit and do church at, um, it just made me start thinking about, there's some interesting details here in these miracles that God puts in here. I wonder if he wants us to know, maybe learn some things about that. And what is what does that mean? So, anyways, um, just to calm my nerves a little bit. Um, Brother Bob, would you mind just praying for us one more time before we get into the sermon? Most gracious Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the blessings that you have received today. Father, we thank you for our speaker here today, Father. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Soften our hearts, Father. Help us take these words into us and have us walk in your will and not our will. In the name of Christ, Amen. Amen. But as we look at some of these miracles, we'll go ahead and turn over to John chapter 2. Start there with Christ's first public miracle. But, you know, there are the details about people, the place, you know, the situation, the problems that they're encountering. You know, there, there's just all different kinds of things. Think about that, that one where the Christ multiplies the food because that lad brings his five loaves and two fishes. And there's all these other little, you know, just the conversational details there. Um, I think it, was, it would behoove us, it would be important for us to not just blow past those, right? And so, and you know, when you're going through your Bible, uh, maybe just take, you know, maybe slow down the speed limit a little bit and, you know, realize you don't have to just blow through this one, just... Take it easy and, and, under, and take in the scenery about what God's painting this picture here for us. But before we get into this miracle, why should we consider these details? Well, God's words are pure. Amen. Psalm 12, 6 and 7, right? He's purified his words. This is, I'm going to rehash some, some very familiar things. I don't have anything groundbreaking or earth shattering. And just to set everybody ease, there's no strange doctrines here tonight. I don't, I don't get into all that. Um, but just just some very basic, normal things. And then over in uh, Proverbs 30, verse 5, I, I didn't write it down. It's blanking my memory at the moment. The Bible says, Every word of God is pure. He's a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Hey, if God gave us pure words, and you know how this world and our lives are and just how our own hearts are, wouldn't it be great if we got more purity inside of us? Yeah. 
And, and if he put very specific words in there, those details, they mean something, and they're pure. God didn't write a dirty book. You know, he didn't write something that was uh, smutty or that was um, just bland. Like it's, it's full of life. It's full of God's life. It's pure. We should get that pure word there. God's words are life. We see there over there in Luke chapter 4, verse 4, he states, And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So if you want to increase in your spiritual life, like we know this intellectually, but what do we need to do? We need to get God's words into us, right? And and that's not just about the amount, but we need to understand get the the right words into us. We need to be thoughtful about them, right? We need to digest them, allow the Holy Spirit to have those words work in us. Now, God's words are for you, right? He's given us this book. Every word is for you. Now, every word may not be to you, right? Okay. That back there in the Old Testament, like the words there when he's declaring what you're supposed to do when you sin and then you go to the temple to get that taken care of, that's not necessarily to you. It's for you to learn something from, but we understand that God's created some divisions there. And it's for our learning, right? In our admonition, it says there in Romans 15, verse 4. He says that it's an ensample. What's an ensample? Um, it's like an example, a pattern, something that we could... Uh, understand something from. I heard it said one time, I think it was from our pastor, what's an example? It's, it's, how is that different from an example? When you go to Costco and you can get an ensample of that crummy burrito that they're selling in the frozen section, right? That they've heated up. And you can, you can taste that. Like, oh, now I understand this is really what I'm getting. I kind of appreciate that, right? I have something that instead of just the box and the picture and the words, like I can taste this. God's words in there, like it's an ensample for us to really understand what's going on. And then he says it's an admonition there in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. An admonition, a gentle reproof, a counseling, right, against the fault, right? Sometimes as parents, you can instruct your children, it's a reproof, and not necessarily where they're in trouble, right? But it's like, hey, here's something in your life that you should look at correcting because, you know, later on it's going to cause some issues. Let me help you with that. That's called a reproof. God's words are gentle that way sometimes. Like it's a reproof to us. So you need these things in your life. This is why we need to understand just the words, but the details, because we need to learn like, oh, what is really going on here? Now back to these miracles. God gives us these accounts of these miracles and tells them the... The details, because like I said earlier, in other words, there's no fluff. There's no filler in the Word of God, right? I've read some books before, and there's just there's parts of a chapter or whole chapters, and you think, why did they put that in there? Like did the, the publisher just said you, you only had 200 pages and you needed 300, and now you've wasted paper and ink, right? And it's just it's just fluff and filler, and it's like didn't really add a whole lot to the story. God's not just filling his words up just because he needed the Bible to be, you know, this amount thick, right? God didn't, he didn't need that. 
He said, no, I'm going to, this is on purpose. So we look here in John chapter two, verses one through 11. This is, we all know this is very famous. Jesus's first public miracle here, turning this water into wine. And so, um, we'll go ahead and read these verses. It says, in the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. So we look here and we see what is the setting of the situation? It's Cana of Galilee. So it's in northern Israel. It's Cana. It's, this is a small town. Not even a town. It's really more like a village. If we kind of go back into the history, it's, this is not some large city. And it's interesting to think about, like, Jesus did his first public miracle, not in a stadium, not in an auditorium. He didn't put out flyers and brochures to say, come see what's going to happen. He didn't have the disciples go canvas the land. He just went to a wedding showed up, there was an issue, and he helped, and he miraculously resolved it. You see, Jesus was not interested in gaining on this fame and glory. And also, he's interested in dealing with just normal everyday towns, villages, and the people. You see that? He's not in this for the glory. And, you know, the other thing I noticed is that he's at a wedding, Jesus was and is interested in even in our special occasions. Um, my dad is famous for saying, um, why would I go to a wedding and ruin a good Saturday afternoon? <laughs> you know, why we're going to have this wedding on a Saturday afternoon. I could be doing so many other things or nothing at all. And I'm going to go, you know, something with his time, you know, just kind of, and, you know, but that's a special occasion for that family. Right. It's a special occasion, especially for that bride and groom. It should be a special occasion. I think in America, we we rush this wedding thing. It's boom, it's in, it's out, and we're done. You know, apparently this wedding, this betrothal was a long process. Like they, it was you know close to a year long process of that was a normal time period of a betrothal, and this was the culmination of that. And it was kind of a week long ordeal. So it wasn't just a Saturday afternoon. I mean, like they were ruining somebody's week, you know. This, this is, this is like, there's a lot going on here. And, but that's an indication, like, this was a, this was a big deal to this family. 
than to the surrounding area. And it's, and it's a time for them to celebrate. And Jesus was invited and he didn't shirk that. He was glad to be there. And I'd encourage you, if you have a wedding, you should make sure that Jesus is there. Amen. Make sure that God's involved in your wedding and at the, from this and your marriage from the start. And if he wasn't involved in your marriage or your, your wedding from the start, there's no better time like the present, right? <laughs> Just get God involved. He's not going to be, you know, not going. Well, you didn't start then. No, he'll. He's okay with that. All right, I'm, uh, I'm kind of running off on a rabbit trail. But the problem here, what's the problem? They they run out of wine, right? Um, it was expected. This is something that's a very expected piece of this feast that had to be there. And it was embarrassing, right? This is normal. This is what you have. This is what you provide. The, the groom's family is providing this. And now all of a sudden they're out. You know, they, they didn't account for it or something got spilled or it, what, something happened and, and now they don't have enough. And, you know, that was probably, it's an embarrassing situation. You ever been somewhere where they was expected to have a bunch of food and, and, and drink available and now they don't. And now you think, hmm, you know, Everybody, you know, just take very small portions. Well, remember, like, they can't just run down to Safeway or Fred Meyer and, and get a bunch more food or wine. Like, this is not some easy, solvable thing. This is a big deal. What are they going to do? And, you know, the wine may have even been necessary to help keep the water from going bad. I mean, the, that fermentation process, and they'd mix that with the water to keep things from becoming contaminated. That's another big deal that they had to deal with back then, right? Flowing water was not just something easily had. They didn't go to the faucet and just turn on the clean water. And so this this is an issue. I think this is a detail. Sometimes we think, oh, they, they ran out of wine. Okay, and then Jesus was there and he created this wine out of water. Like, but why was that such a big deal? Like They needed that. They expected it. It was part of the agreement that they had. And now... It's not there. What, what are they going to do? So the solution shows up. Mary goes to Jesus and seemingly discreetly, she doesn't make a big deal about it. And even later on in the passage, you see that the governor doesn't understand that it's Jesus who uh, performed this miracle. She just states this fact to him uh, as a statement. and says they don't, they don't have any wine. And but Jesus responds in such a way that it was... Um, she approached him in some form of expecting him to do something about it, right? right? And, you know, kind of like, they don't have any wine. Hint, hint. <laughs> and and apparently Mary had some sort of discretion to understand that her son was now coming into a place where he was going to start manifesting his glory. Or, you know, maybe some things had happened that between, her, you know, Jesus' family where she really understood... Um, this this is for real, and this is coming to pass. And boy, you know, as any good mother would want, she'd want to see her son like start showcasing his uh, abilities. And I don't mean to be irreverent, but his talents, right? right? And his glory. Like, man, I bore the Messiah. And let's let's get this thing. Let's just get this thing going. You know, it's you're 30 years old now. You know, come on. <laughs> you know, let's let's get this going, Jesus. And she's like, hey, you know, they don't have any wine. Let's, you know. 
you know, if I heard the scriptures right, you know, all things were created by you and for you. Not in, without you, not anything was that created that was made. And so, you know, um, so I, I don't know. I'm kind of reading into that a little bit. But she, but Jesus answers her like, "Hey, it's not my time." And but then doesn't ignore the problem. Right? <laughs> he he kind of he sets it aside like, "Hey, it's not my not my time." But let's let's go about this and help out. And so he gives, and so she tells the servants. She doesn't go run and tell the governor. She doesn't tell the, the bride and the bridegroom about this. Apparently they have no idea what's going on in the background, but she tells the servants, and they have to obey seemingly a strange command. Right. Here's these pots. Go fill the pots with water. Okay, got it. So simple and yet so extraordinary, right? And I think uh, our culture is not used to that. Right, having giving a command and somebody going and obeying it, and whether forget about the servanthood, just forget about think about a boss and a worker, right? Oh, like just I need you to go take care of this situation. I need you to go take care of this task. I wasn't in my job description, you know. I'm the servant over the bread. I have nothing to do with the water, you know. They, they didn't they didn't say anything like that. They just went and obeyed, right? Think about that. They, they went and obeyed. They did it, and they didn't do it half-heartedly. They, well, it's three quarters full. That's full enough. It says they filled it to the brim. They they filled it up. Did as they were instructed. Very simple. It's instructive though. But what do we? And so then we know that this these pots are filled up. This water's turned to wine. It's done well, right? Done with perfection, and. The, the, the wedding feast goes on. The governor's pleased about it. The bridegroom gets, apparently, you know, gets the, um, accolades for it, whatnot. And it doesn't say anywhere that they went back and be like, oh, no, no, I, I didn't have anything to do with it. Jesus did it. Right? He just, he does it quietly, discreetly. Doesn't even receive any, like, pomp or circumstance for it. But what is, what are the lessons here? Some of the, you know, we kind of went through some of the details. What are some lessons that we can be learned here? Um, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus desires to be involved in our daily lives and our special occasions, right? Will you include Jesus Christ in your daily life and your special occasions and things that go on? Will you make sure to include Jesus? You know, it's we're too used to convenience and you know what what would happen if we had a a potluck here tonight and we said oh man we were expecting to have coffee and we had no coffee what would we do we would run down to the store we'd be back in 10 minutes with some grounds to make some coffee not a problem wouldn't even think about it wouldn't even think about praying about it you know anything we're so used to the conveniences of life that we often leave God out of the details of our life. I think that's that's something for us to really take heart on. And then thirdly, we should not just throw complaints towards God's way, but we should be seeking His divine assistance. Mary just threw this out there. It almost looks like a complaint, like, hey, they don't have any wine. 
I don't know if it was a complaint. I don't know if it was an accusation. She just throws it out there. But maybe she was seeking his assistance, but it doesn't say that, you know, she said, Jesus, they don't have any wine. What can you do? Can you pray to the Father for some wisdom, for some help, you know, whatnot? When we have problems in our life, and seemingly, you know, this seems like a small one to us. It was a big deal to them. But let's not just throw out the complaint to God. Like, well, there it is again, God. Here's the negative thing in my life. It's happened. Are we seeking His divine assistance to help us? And then the last thing, as I see in this miracle, is that Jesus should get the glory and honor for the miracles in our lives. As pointed out, I don't see anywhere that Jesus gets any credit for this, right? Just kind of, just kind of moves along. I'm sure, I'm sure people noticed. I'm sure they started talking. The servants certainly did. I'm sure the disciples did. And this thing is going to start spreading abroad. But let's make sure, hey, when God does touch you in your life in a special way, and when He does intercede for you, Make sure to tell others, right? My wife has been beaming when I get home sometimes about something God did for her. And I'm like, what was it? This is amazing. Like, you know, I got the best parking spot at Walmart. You're not going to believe this. Amen. Like, yeah. <laughs> she literally drove around and drove there because she had little kids and strollers and diapers and all this other stuff and was asking God for a good parking spot. Is there anything wrong with that? Is there anything right with that? Absolutely. All, you know, and she gave God the credit for that. Like, man, that is a small little thing, but it meant something. And then you can you know, go back and, and praise God and get others to praise God with you about that. Like, God answered this prayer for me. You know, I know it gets a, a, some of a silly example, but God's answering prayer. God's concerned about things in our life. Does it mean that she's always going to get the parking spot? No, I mean, last time she was there, she drove around for 45 minutes, and then God provided the parking spot. <laughs> just, just kidding. <laughs> Lo and behold, I spent $20 in gas. But, um, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, uh, just remember, like, give God the glory back. Amen. Don't, don't forget to say, hey, God answered this prayer. Give God the glory and file it away in your memory bank because you're going to need that going forward in your life. Let's turn over to John chapter 4, and we'll go through one more. Brother Dan said I had between 20 minutes and an hour, and I'll try to definitely keep it under an hour. John chapter 4, verse 43. There's a second public miracle that Christ does here. And we'll read down through these uh, 11 or 12 verses here. Now after the, sorry, now after two days, he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then when he was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him 
that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed in his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. Now, here's the, the, as the scripture says, this second miracle here. We go through, what is this setting again? Je- Jesus had left Galilee and he'd gone down. If you read through the scriptures there in chapters 2 and 3, he'd gone down to Jerusalem. There's that whole ordeal at the temple. He cast them out. He said, you made my father's house a, a den of thieves. And he'd done that work there. And obviously now they hear about it way back up north. Um, but he, so he comes back up and says, but if you look on the map and if you do the, the distance from Jerusalem back to Cana is over 70 miles of walking, right? And he didn't just go, it wasn't a day trip. Like, you know, this didn't just take, this is a big deal. Like the traveling was a, was a big deal. And now we see it gives the detail that this nobleman comes from Capernaum. And if you look on the map, that's over 16 miles away. So word has traveled. Jesus is, is getting out. Like he's done this miracle. He's upset things at Jerusalem, the capital, not just the capital and the temple. It's a big deal to the Jews. And now word's getting out and he's come back up in another town over 16 miles away. This nobleman hears it and he's got a son that's very sick and he's going to come get a hold of Jesus to discuss this and to try to implore him to come help him. But the nobleman, he had to walk or he rode a donkey or, you know, some sort of animal. Um, that's not easy. I'm sure they were somewhat used to it. But if you think like back then, like this, you've got a village and they've got a town. It's sort of self-sustaining. You, travel as we know it did not exist. Like, is this not a normal thing to have the interstates and the roads and to go, you know, just to call somebody up and say, Hey, let's go over here. You know, it wasn't just like that. This nobleman takes a gamble that Jesus is even going to be in still in the same place by the time he gets there. You know, I've heard that Jesus is on his way there. I'm going to go try to meet him and intersect him. And hopefully that happens. They can't even do that. You know, in recent years when they were looking for Osama bin Laden, they would get information that would be dated because some herder of a goat saw some guy look like him, thought it was him. By the time that information crossed the border to somebody else who thought they might have credible, credible information, it was two to three days. Like, so that, that, that word of mouth thing. And so this man has to travel, take his time and energy away from his duties that he's got. I'm not sure that he's from royal blood, but he's evidently some sort of part of the government taking care of things in that area. And he's taking the side 
his duties to go over here in hopes to meet Jesus. Now, what was the problem? This son, his son was sick unto death, okay? Now, we already established it was a big problem for them to run into wine at the wedding, right? The big problem, people needed to drink, we needed to hydrate, and to have energy. And I don't know, and it's not told like how far it was into the wedding. But if you do the math, I mean, like, there was a lot of gallons there. I mean, these were not small pots. It was like 80-something gallons of wine. So, sorry, I missed that part. There's a lot, you know, to provide for several days. So, you know, that was a big deal. But now, hey, this guy's son is sick unto death. This is a big deal. It's very serious. And apparently this man knew that Jesus was his only hope. And you know, the, the one thing I see from this is it calls him the nobleman several times in this passage. That being part of nobility, royal, or whether he was employed, um, it does not exempt him from life's problems. Right? We're, we're here in America. We've got the greatest healthcare systems in the world, you know, and it's just, it doesn't, we have access to all kinds of things and it doesn't exempt us from health problems, right? You guys are very well acquainted with this, Brother Ken, right now. There's people that I know that right now that are in question whether their little child has leukemia and they have lots and lots of wealth and they live a healthy lifestyle. They're not exempt. The situation is serious. The situation is not isolated to poor people. It doesn't say anything about this man being a wicked man. He's just a citizen. He's, he's a nobleman. But he understands the solution, amen? The solution, he goes to Jesus. He makes it a priority in his life. So we look down in this passage here, and he comes to Jesus. In verse 47, it says, He besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, he knew that wherever Jesus was, something good and great was going to happen. And so he had equated this, like, I need to get Jesus to my son, and there's a chance. Now, remember, the Bible says this is a second miracle. There's no other instances that we know of, and the Bible doesn't record it, where Jesus healed anybody. But this man is going out on faith, right? Like He said, hey, he's been able to do this. This looks like he probably might be the Messiah. I'm betting he could heal my son, but he's got to get here, right? I need to, he's got to, I've traveled these 16 miles. Jesus and I, we're going to walk back these 16 miles, go to my house. We're going to take care of this issue. It's going to be great. He's got to trust that Jesus can do this, but he wanted Jesus there physically and he wanted him there immediately. You ever prayed something like that? Lord, here's the situation. You need to come down, take care of this now. I have faith and trust that you will do this. <laughs> Nothing happens, right? No, it's seemingly, and then you wait. And you wait hours, maybe days, maybe weeks, right? We read later, Lazarus was dead four days. Right? Before the Lord came and raised him up. 
when he could have easily traveled there before he even died. See, this man's got faith and he trusts, but he, but he, he wants God to do something. But he's got a very specific plan. I know exactly what God should do for all kinds of situations in my life. Right? Right? Like this should happen. And, and Lord, I know this is what should happen because if you did this and this, that person would know that you are the Savior and they would trust you. Right? Is my, is my cause not good? <laughs> is it not right? For somebody to get saved, to trust Jesus Christ? And God's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do those circumstances. Right. What? I don't understand, but I trust that you could do. He's like, yeah, I, I could, but that's not the thing. And so Jesus gives this man a harsh response and says, man, you just guys just want to see signs and wonders or else you will not believe. Whew. Man, like, this guy already believes. Like, right? He believes Jesus can come heal his son. I don't understand that yet, but that's one of those details here. The God of the universe is here, and he's rebuking these people for this. You know what? I like this next detail in verse 49. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. He was not put off by Jesus' seeming indifference to his problem. He was persistent. You know... The nobleman says, I'm, I'm not giving up here. I know what needs to happen. And boy, God is gracious with him. So he, he tells him, he says, go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken to him and he went his way. You see, he had faith. He had to really, really change where his faith was and that Jesus needed to be there and to trust him what Jesus said. He had to put his faith and trust. Jesus has said this, and I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to turn away and walk away from the great physician and go back here. 16 miles probably took him all day, unless he was riding some sort of animal, but he, he goes back and he gets there. He's got to trust. He's like, man, I have just left my only hope. Jesus has told me this. Hmm. Can you imagine how heart-wrenching that was for him? What a deal. What an ordeal. And you know what? Then his, his faith and trust was rewarded. Verse 50 says he was healed. And he goes about and then he says, you know, he asked the family and what time this happened, they corroborate that it happened about this, you know, at the same time when Jesus had told him, Hey, your son's going to be healed. You should go now. And he knew. And it says in verse 50, oh, I'm jumping ahead there, but he, he shares it with others. So the lessons in this, this miracle here, we already went over it. Status and wealth do not exempt us from life's problems. The best insurance, the best diet, the best exercise do not exempt you from life's problems. But you know what? When life's problems came to him and it was serious, he promptly went to Jesus. Amen. It doesn't, I don't, I don't see that he consulted the physicians. Maybe they did, but
but he promptly goes to Jesus and he went, he goes out of his way to get there. But one thing I learned about this is that again, we should go to God with our requests, not our demands. He was demanding Jesus come do this particular thing. And God will not be put into our little box. You know, we're, We are Baptist by conviction and by what it says in the Scripture. And to some degree, we put away all kinds of things and all kinds of craziness that goes on outside of, you know, in what's called Christendom and the holiness and the healers and all these fanatical things. But then we, we swing so far the other way that God must do things like a certain way. Do we ever allow like God to really perform miracles in our life? I'm, I'm not by any means suggesting somebody's going to come lay hands and, you know, shout and craziness. But do we, do we give God some lenience to have his own way in our life? To work in circumstances and in, and through his methods to confound us, right? And sometimes it says the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Right? Wasn't it, it seem foolish that Jesus would not go with this man? Like, okay, just, yeah, I'll go heal your son. And then that town would have known it and it would have brought many to Jesus there, right? Like, you can see all these good things that would be compounding upon one another had Jesus just gone to them. But he doesn't do it that way. Why? I don't know. But God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So far as the heavens are above the earth. So we must go to Jesus with our requests, our faith, but not our demands. But you know what? This man was persistent. He doesn't give up, right? And I think God understands that um, even in our weakness and when we're asking something, he's still going to intercede for us. And he was he didn't just give up. Has God ever told you no on something? You said, well, okay, well, that's, it's done. Nothing's going to happen. Forget about it. Now be persistent, right? Our plans need to fall in line with God's plan is something, another lesson I learned from this. And then verse 50, we take God at his word. Amen. Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. He, went, he, he believed, and he went his way. And you know, in verse 53, it says, So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed in his whole house. And his whole house. Here's this other detail. He finds out, and he just says, he doesn't just go, Man, well, that was neat. You know? Well, okay, well, I'll, I'll make sure I thank God in my bedtime prayers before I... Go to sleep. No, he made sure the entire house knew it. And back then, a lot of the family lived together. He was a big, you know, some some arrangement that I'm so thankful that we don't have today. Um, but uh, but man, like his whole house believed because he said, "Hey, what? He's healed? Great! What time? 
Oh man, have I got a story for you. And he expounded unto them the whole situation. Boy, and that, that helped them believe on Jesus Christ. You know what? Again, when God answers these prayers in your life, make sure to share it with others, right? Share with the other believers. Share it with those in your family. Share it with those in your family who are not saved or who are away from God. Just think, you know what God did for me? Isn't that great? It's so great God did that for me. And just let the, let the Lord use that. Now, overall, let's just kind of we'll wrap this up. What are some the overall lessons that we can learn from these two miracles? Go to God promptly for your small problems and your big problems. Understand that God is interested in your daily activities. You know, that's, that seems strange. God, the creator of the universe, and there's 7 billion people here, I don't know how he does it, but yet he's God and he's interested in you. And he's interested in your employment and in your interactions with people and in your health. And he's interested in your family and the decisions you have to make. He wants to be invited there. He wants to be a part of that. And there's going to be problems that come up. And you know what those problems are for? To drive us to Him. Uh You know, I think of those two on the road to Emmaus there after the the crucifixion crucifixion and the resurrection that they didn't know about. You know, it says in that passage, and, and He would have gone on. He would have gone further. Jesus wants us to ask for His help, to ask for His presence or... He might just keep passing by. Right? They, they were there discussing these things, you know, these two on the road to Emmaus about the, the crucifixion, the resurrection. And we thought all these things and these miracles have happened for the past three and a half years and their heads are spinning. And it could have been like, yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? What are we going to do? And they could have gone their separate ways. And yet they, no, they implored him. They said, no, come on, let's, Let's discuss some more of these spiritual things. They didn't even know it was Jesus Christ at the time. But they were interested in what Jesus had to say. Are you interested in having Jesus Christ be part of your life? And then the other thing is that faith always requires action. Right? The servants had to obey. They had to do some things. Mary had to back off a little bit. They trusted, and they started doling that wine now. And like, okay, here's the here's the wine, right? And it required some action, it required some faith and trust there. That father had to travel. He's like, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step out. Like Jesus had not performed a miracle of healing yet, and he had faith and trusted. You have some unusual circumstance in your life. Now, maybe you can't find a scriptural verse for, and you just trust God with it. He he is, you know, omnipotent. Amen. But it requires action. It requires going to Him. And what are those keys to asking? In Luke eleven five through thirteen, we see this. He's, he talks about if um, if a son came to his father and asked, you know. For something, would he give him a serpent? He asked for a fish, would he give him a serpent? No. 
You know, if he asked for bread, would he give him a stone? No. Our Heavenly Father knows what's good for us. He would give us the good things. Is it ask, seeking, and knocking? And in James 1, 6, talking about asking in faith, nothing wavering. Right? The nobleman went in faith. His faith wasn't wavered. Even when Christ kind of rebuked him a little bit and said, you just want to see a sign or a miracle. Sure. Yeah, I do. Because my son's about to die. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Lord, could you come? And the, and the Lord still rewards him and says, just go your way. He's going to be healed. And he believed him. He asked in faith. And then when God changed his plans, he listened and obeyed in faith. So just one final thought here is don't skim through your Bible reading. You know, make sure to take time to notice the details. God's got some great truths in there for us. And I'm going to try to take that to heart as I continue to read my Bible. That Man, there, there are some things here that, like I said, it's not just fluff. You know, this is not a Louis L'Amour novel. God's got a real book here. It's written for us in all kinds of reasons. And there's going to come details in your life. If you're young here and you stay around and the Lord doesn't come back soon, in 15, 20 years from now, you're going to go through something like, Lord, I don't understand this. But if you're paying attention, God can minister to you out of His words. Say, here's the details. Here's the situation. Just trust and obey. You know, that's all I have. That's all I have for tonight is that there's details here. God's, God's in the details. Amen. God's, God cares for us. So it's been great to be here with you for tonight. And, uh, there's only one person that's upset right now. I hear him outside. So, so it's not, not too bad. Not too bad. All right. Well, um, Brother Dan, you know, close us out in prayer or what do you guys usually do for me? Okay.